Hey y'all, welcome to This One's On Purpose podcast. I'm your host, Nia. Join me weekly as I discuss different topics from friendships and feelings to love and healing. I create this space to connect with you all along the journey. Let's get straight to it. Hey y'all, welcome to This One's On Purpose podcast. This week's episode is about mental health. And when I thought about mental health, I thought about my cousin, Amanda. I'm honored to be with her today. She's low-key my therapist and she is just about to wrap up her doctorate degree. So I'm going to let her introduce herself and then we're going to hop right into the questions. Hey guys, my name is Amanda. I am from Compton, California, a born again Houstonian. And today we're going to talk about mental health. Okay, so I feel like growing up, mental health wasn't really something that was talked about. When did you realize the importance of mental health and just overall like, oh, this is a real thing and it's something that needs to be talked about? I first realized that mental health was important when I first moved to Houston. Growing up, everything seemed to be okay. You know, I never wanted for anything. I was a regular spoiled child like anybody else's kid, blessed and highly favored. Okay. But at the end of the day, I always knew I thought different, and I always knew I felt different, or so I thought. So when I moved to Texas, and I was not on my own, but when I lived as an adult because I moved to Texas for college. When I lived my life as an adult, that's when I started to do research. Um, I started my college career going into biological sciences because I wanted to be a pediatrician. Mm -hmm. That was not it. So Mm -hmm. I did some research. I also have two, well, we have two cousins who are also in the mental health field and just talking to them, doing my research. That's when I decided that mental health is important. And that's something that I wanted to study. Essentially, how has your outlook changed with learning everything that you learned through all your schooling? When I first moved here, I was helping my cousin volunteer at her at her job. She is a counselor at, well, at the time she was a counselor at an elementary school. And what she would have me do is pack backpacks for the less fortunate kids. They would take backpacks of food home on the weekends. They would have food. Um, depending on what the shelters were given at the time. They might have, you know, extra blankets or whatever the case may have been. And um, she also gave me an assignment to work with this one young lady who I won't name, but um, I was able to mentor her from third to fifth grade. And in that, that is when I learned, like, okay, I could really become a staple. And and she was an African-American girl. And that's when I, it, it just was proven to me, okay, you can be a staple in the community. You... Um, you're not finished with school, but you are still able to help this young lady figure out who she is, who she wants to become. And, you know, from there, I started to volunteer in other different aspects and work with other kids. So ultimately, with my degree, once I graduate and everything signed off on, I become official, official Dr. Glover. Um, I want to... I don't want to say open a private practice. I mean, first I'll start with like an outreach program. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be costly because I do want to help those who absolutely need the help, but just do not have the resources. Because I, at one point in my life was one of those. Well, I wasn't, 
I wasn't less fortunate, but there was a time and moment in my life where I wasn't as, I don't want to say privileged because that sounds really bad, but I, things weren't always good. Yeah. So at one point in my life in high school, I became a kid that did need a little extra and a, a little extra attention, a little extra help. And I had someone who was that for me. So I just want to be that for the other kids in our community because they don't have that. And it's very important. Very important. Um, we had a conversation. I don't know if you remember. We had a conversation a while ago and we were just talking about mental health in a black community. And you said something that I felt like stuck out. And I wanted to know if you could like go deeper and explain what you meant by that. You said it's about connecting vulnerability with weakness. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you remember saying that, but like, what does that mean? Because I think we was, the conversation was around, like, it might be a little bit of fear when it comes to Black people going to therapy or just feeling like, are they going to understand me? Or maybe it's a disconnect because, you know, of a cultural background. So can you describe connecting vulnerability with weakness, like what you meant by that? Growing up in a home with parents that are so much older and then an older sibling that is, you know, living their life. Sometimes when I was younger, I felt like I had to act like my older brother. I had to be as strong as my parents. So like now, you know this, I do not cry in front of people. That is something that I just cannot. And it's not that I don't want to. It's just something that I've never done. And as a 26-year-old woman, it's still something that I'm still not comfortable with. I would rather just hold it in. And sometimes it goes away and it may come back 10 times harder later on down the line. But I've always just felt like vulnerability just shows some sign of weakness. Now, that is not true. And I've learned that, you know, going through life's phases. But a lot of our community, the Black community in particular, especially our Black men, they they make vulnerability and fear and weakness synonymous. And they are totally different in two different aspects. You can be vulnerable and still be strong. Yeah. And a lot of our young black women and our young black men do not understand that. They feel like that is why, and me coming from Compton, California, although I was not engaged in a lot of activities in Compton, California, I still am. That's still a part of me. So mm-hmm. I did, I had friends who, you know, didn't have a mom, didn't have a dad. So then they turned to the gang life because that is where they found home. And then from there, that is where they may have learned, oh, and excuse my language, but oh, little nigga, you have to be strong. Being strong means you don't cry. Mm-hmm. You may have to pick up a gun to prove that you're strong. And then it just trickles down from there. And then women, young women, sometimes turn to sex or, yeah, they turn to sex to find that in a man because they didn't have a dad. So then they, instead of, you know, finding that help, seeking that help and saying, hey, I need help. I'm struggling. Instead of being vulnerable in that manner, they go to a man and say, hey, make me feel good. And then that trickles down to a different, a whole different world of problems. So that is, we. Ha- it, it's important. It is important to know the difference. So when it comes to like breaking that, that cycle For me, I feel like you have to create a space where if it's a child or a teenager or even an adult, 
a space where people feel comfortable enough. I feel like um, a lot of people don't trust people, rightfully so, um, whether, you know, they've been done wrong or they just feel like anything can be used against them and just depending on how they grew up. And so I feel like it starts with creating an open space. But then again, um, I feel like you have to have a certain level of maturity, a certain level of compassion, because you might hear some things that are startling to you. So in your opinion, how do you feel like the cycle can be broken? In effort to break a cycle, you have to not be ignorant to the cycle. And a lot of us are guilty of, you know, spending a lot of time on social media. Sometimes we're guilt- we find ourselves comparing ourselves to what we see on social media, even though we know in our heart, in our mind, we sometimes p- portray ourselves in a different light on social media. What you see on social media is just that, what you see on social media. But although pictures do speak a million, a thousand words, we can also create our own story with what we post on social media. So just because you see something on social media does not mean that that is the reality behind, you know, closed doors. So, and when I say that, you know, just from conversing with colleagues, with friends, we look at the younger generation sometimes and we say, we make comments like, I feel bad for them, or they just have no idea. Instead of us, and me too, I'm guilty of it as well, and I'm, we're, I'm working on it. But instead of, you know, just turning that blind eye, blind eye and saying, oh, I'm so glad I was born in, 19, in the 90s, or whatever the case may be. We have the power to use our tools, which is our experiences. And that's all it takes to each one, teach one, reach one. That's all it takes. So I know me in particular, I am very close with two of my younger cousins. One is 11, one is 14. And they're bo- and they just have both happen to be, you know, young ladies. And I, I actually speak on them in my dissertation. It is eye-opening to, you know, see life from their angle because they are younger than me and they are a part of a, I don't know if they're a different generation or not, but um, they have access to so much more than what I had access to. I was just telling my friend last night, these younger girls are engaged, not my cousins, but, you know, their peers are engaging in activities that I wasn't even thinking about at their age. But at the same time, when you think about what they have access to, social media, they have free porn websites. They have music to so the city girls talking about, you know, what they're doing on the D and everything else. We didn't have that. So they're being introduced to things a lot earlier. So it is, I take it as my responsibility to teach them just, I mean, I understand the beat is catchy. I love the music too, but that does not mean you have to perform what they're doing because, you know, some people look at music as an, out, an outlet. They, mm-hmm. they listen to music as an outlet and, you know, they look at social media and then they say, okay, JT, Young Miami, I don't see them being vulnerable. They don't look weak. They don't look sad. So I want to be like them. And then they just run with it and then they do what they're going to do. And it, like I said, it's our responsibility as being a part of the community, as older versions of them mm-hmm. in hindsight to teach them different. And that is, I mean, technically that is therapy. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. So, and when we don't make that connection and when we just turn our nose up and say, oh, these girls out here just too fast. Oh, look at these boys trying to impress. Boys were trying to impress us too. So let's not act like. Yeah. 
we were just out here prim and proper because that 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 is that is, that's not it. <laughs> that is not how that happened. So being real with ourselves, that's the first step. I feel the same way too. Like, um, and like you said, you kind of be like, mm, these kids is just, but it's like we was once those kids. And again, you say, you know, we didn't have the access to everything. Um, my biggest thing is just like it's it's almost scary. And then the way that some of these young women look like they are thick. They are very much, you feel me? Like, and some of them will play on that. Um, you know, but and they play on that for a reason though. Yeah. They play on it for a reason. When when and again, I blame the access they have. So, oh, I'm out here looking thick like Meg the Stallion. Oh, I want Megan knees. Yeah. You you don't you can't even do algebra. Why are you worried about Megan knees? Yeah. And that is, I mean, we not we, because it's not always just our responsibility, it's the parents' responsibility too. But because we're having this conversation, we've we've seen this somewhere, right? We've witnessed yeah. it somewhere. Yeah. So a part of mental health again is identifying the problem, researching helping to resolve the problem that doesn't mean resolve it but doing what we can as human beings with conscious and with working brains doing what we can to assist in resolving the issue yeah i mean after that the job is done whether they take i mean i've always said i can give you the resources but what you do with them is that's you this whatever you do with what i give you that's on you i've done my part and I can go to bed at night and say, I did my part. Same thing with therapy. Same thing with counseling. You can go. You can make the appointments. You can sit there. You can cry your eyes out. You can talk to your counselor, your therapist, your psychologist. If you do not take what you learn in those sessions and apply it to your everyday life, one, you're wasting time. And two, you're, you're cheating yourself. Yeah. So, yeah. I feel... The education, the educational piece is is vital. I feel like with people being exposed to so much, you know, like you said, the research piece, you have to, um, you know, look behind the scenes. Like, where did this where did this come from? Where did this start? And then educate them, because like you said, I think people just want to grow up so fast. And I think at a point we did too. Then we got here and adulting can be very ghetto, a uh, very fulfilling, but very ghetto. I think it's important for people who are in, not even, not even in career fields that deal with mental health, just anybody who is, has the capacity to be a mentor. I feel like, like you said, stepping up, stepping up to the plate. And so that brings me to like my next point. What are some of the core pillars that you are going to instill in your clients, like in regards to maintaining and pursuing a healthy mental state and then how do you define having a healthy mental state is the second part okay um i i plan for my clientele to mostly be children i mean as a service provider i don't i mean and as a mental health service provider i'm not going to turn away anyone but i do want my clientele to be mostly juvenile based Simply because, and I want them to be like me, simply because a lot of the times, especially in schools, public schooling to be exact, and this is from a a personal experience, people 
look at black children as oh he has a problem he can't sit still Mm -hmm. oh she's rude she has an attitude and they sign it off as such Mm -hmm. i want to instill in these same bad children who can't sit still who have attitude problems you can be somebody so number one self-awareness number two strength Mm -hmm. mental and physical Mm -hmm. and i mean just simply the core values of life and mostly because when you grow up hearing oh you have an attitude problem you're gonna have an attitude problem Mm -hmm. i mean truthfully speaking when you don't have an attitude to someone say you have an attitude well hell now i do have an attitude because you're telling me i have something that i don't Mm -hmm. so and then our black boys Especially with, you know, the things going on today. I actually had a friend of mine. Her brother was sitting in the car at 3 o'clock in the morning on the phone with his girlfriend, 16 Mm -hmm. years old, because he lives in a home with 15 other people. Mm -hmm. He has to go sit in his mom's car to talk to his girlfriend. And the Harris County Sheriff pulled up to the car and pulled him out the car at gunpoint, telling him he fit the description. How does he fit the description of someone when he's sitting in a car? So now we have x-ray vision. Exactly. So, and things like that are traumatizing. I spoke to the young man yesterday. I asked him, how do you feel? He said, I want to kill myself. Well, why do you want to kill yourself? Because they're going to do it anyway. So when I have to have this discussion with his mom, I have to explain to her why her son feels this way. Now she isn't feeling okay because she feels like she can't protect him. So, when we think about what we instill in children and in people, period, because I'm I'm 26 and you're 30. <laughs> I'm 28. <laughs> Baby, I'm 28. <laughs> but at our age, we're still learning. And we're, it's, life is a learning process. We're never going to know it all. So there's still things being instilled in you at 28. So at 16, at 28, at 40, it's never too late to learn. So just knowing that you are someone, you are important, you have something to live for, sometimes that's all it takes for somebody to take that step off the ledge Mm -hmm. from jumping. It's just knowing that someone else recognized what you feel in your heart. And a lot of the time, suicide is just that. All those, well, certain, I'm not going to speak on for everyone, but from, you know, research and studying what I've studied in school, and from the different inserts we've had to read, we've had to read a lot of the times in the suicide notes, the common reoccurring theme is no one loves me. Mm-hmm. So had Butch from up the street called and said, hey, man, I love you. That could have stopped. That could that could have prevented, you know, whatever happened. So what I want to instill in my clients is what's being instilled in me daily. I had to tell my mom maybe four or five years ago when she was still living in California before she moved to Texas. Mm -hmm. Why don't you, when we get off the phone, why don't you tell me you love me? And her response was, I didn't think I had to tell you. And sometimes that is it, that it's completely innocent. But sometimes people do need to hear, hey, love you. Yeah. And it makes a world of a difference. And I know my mom loves me, but at the end of the day, sometimes you have to hear certain things to believe them. And sometimes we believe things that we haven't heard. So it's just 
knowing that you have a voice, speak up, say what you need to say, say what you feel, mean what you say, and go from there. I think that that's really that's really key for real. Like you said, when people want to commit suicide or they do commit suicide, you know, it's a lot of surrounded by nobody loved me. Um, I had a conversation with my mom and self-love is a big thing for me. It's something that I struggle with. And I was like, mom, I always knew that you loved me, but I don't feel like you taught me how to love myself. I said, I'm not mad at you. I don't, I don't blame you. You know, I feel like I tell her all the time, like you, you're my angel on earth. Like she did the best she can and the best she knew how, um, you know, because my dad wasn't there. And so she was like, well, I only, I only know what I know. And that may sound like, I don't know how to make it sound better. Um, coming off the top of the dome, but it's true. If her mom, if her mom didn't, you know, instill that. And so I feel like if, you know, I do have kids or just to show people that I do care about, that I do love them. And like you said, saying it, because you can always feel when somebody loves you based off, you know, how they treat you. But sometimes words of affirmation are a real thing. And that can be some people's love language and not in a romantical way, you know, just um, as a as a regular platonic relationship as well. And so when it comes to mental health and self-love, do you feel like those things are one and the same or that they like coexist with each other? Like, do you, I feel like both are equally important. What do you think? Yeah. So when we say the term mental health, that does not necessarily mean healthy mental. It's just the state of your mental. So you could have terrible mental health. You could have great mental health. So self-love contributes to that healthy, healthy, (laughs) healthy mental health. Um, so when some people, you know, grow up loving themselves because of what showered on them growing up and then some people don't learn how to love themselves or what self-love is until they get older and they, you know, go and go through different life lessons and they learn, um, me, for example, my mom and our relationship growing up was very, it was based off of congratulatory terms. So I do, when I think back, I I do, I will say, even though I did continue on school and I did, I'm going to get my PhD, I can say that my mom is the backbone to that. Had it not been for her, I probably wouldn't have been so, greedy not greedy but I probably wouldn't have been so wanting of it Mm -hmm. you know in ninth grade I've always been a stellar student always but when I got to high school even though I went to the same school for all my life um when I got to high school it was like something different I don't know what it was but I just felt like I had all this freedom so when I got my first set of grades in ninth grade freshman year that first semester and I had a 0.5 GPA not a 0.5 Point five. Point five. My mom shut it. I like, you know, I'm I'm at school, you know, kiki ha ha. Oh, there go Amanda, she funny as hell, and da 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 da. Just living life, going to football games, you know, just living my life. Got that report card. I came home. I don't even think I was in the door for a good 10 minutes before my mom. And she 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 wasn't 
my mom wasn't strict. She was not, as long as I had the grades, I could do whatever I wanted to do as long as I had the grades. So, and because of that, I guess when I, when I brought home that 0.5 GPA, she was just like the audacity of you. So she took my phone. I couldn't go anywhere. I was on punishment for nine months. Oh wow! Christmas came and left my gift. I got gifts, but they sat under the tree until March. So I got, and I remember I had gotten a laptop. I had a great Christmas, but I didn't know because, you know, the gifts are still sitting there. But at, that was a lesson she taught me. She was like, look, you're not about to be, I'm not out here spending my hard-earned money on you and you out here treating life like it's a joke. And at the time, in ninth grade, school is life. You don't have, well, me in particular. I can't speak for everybody else because everybody goes through different stuff. But school was my only responsibility. School and the dishes. Dishes done. Grades are good. I could do whatever I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people lacked that growing up too. That that found foundation is very, 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 very important. Mm-hmm. It's important because how your foundation is built is going to determine which route you take in life. Not saying that people who go the opposite direction don't make it to the ultimate goal, which is living a happy, prosperous life. Mm-hmm. It just might take them a little longer. They may have done things a little harder. I mean, I'm not saying they can't get there because they can and most do. But when you have a foundation, when you set up lay a foundation for your children, it just makes it easier to steer them through life. So me personally, I know because of my foundation, all the way from me starting school at the age of two, wearing a uniform, that is what made me who I am. So I can tackle this schoolwork like it's nothing. Like a lot of the times my friends and family joke and say, well, I'm in it. We don't ever hear you talk about school. And I'm like, no, like school is a part of my life. That is like me saying, hey, I woke up and I breathed this morning. Well, duh, you're sitting here talking. So, Pete, like, even my old coworkers, when they do see me, they might see me, like, at Walmart or whatever. One of the first questions is, are you still in school? And I'm just like, yeah. And, they, and their response is always the same. Like, dang, so when you go fit, whatever. But foundation is important. And so I say that because if you don't lay the foundation for your child or for your peers to know that, love is within first and then you can accept outside they won't know like your mom said she she knew what she knew mm-hmm. she maybe she didn't have the foundation of knowing i need to teach my child self-love my mama didn't know i like i said our relationship was very congrats i got after that after being on punishment until march and that point five i want to say my gpa never dropped below 3.7 after that i went and that was a, a story within my school Amanda was on academic probation and now she's about to be, she's close to being valedictorian. I wonder how she did it. And I will always say, my mama don't play. <laughs> she does not play. But when it comes to the self-love aspect, when it comes to me, I always felt like if I wasn't getting good grades or if I wasn't doing something for someone to congratulate me, I would not be loved. So I had to learn me. I had me, I had to teach myself no, you need to love yourself because of who you are. Not what you have done, not because of your accomplishments, but just because of the person you are. Look around you. People love you. The people who don't know anything about what I have going on in school or whatever the case may be. Like even yesterday, yesterday at work, 
um, we do this thing called an assimilation. It's when you accept a new position, you sit down. Um, I work in retail management, so I had to sit down with my employees and I had to listen to them, give me feedback on what they expect from me. And then I had to tell them what I expect. And one of the first people I had met this woman, maybe an hour before, and she was telling my boss, Amanda's not going to be an issue. I feel her vibe. She's real cool. I don't, you know, you just feel that from someone. And I had to sit there and say, wow, this woman doesn't even know me from Adam. And she can sense that I am not a problem. And, you know, over the past year, our family has just gone through a lot. I've lost some friends. I've lost a child. I've lost a lot. But at the end of the day, I've also gained a lot of strength from it. I had a childhood friend of 20 plus years who decided that, you know, what we've built is just not worth saving. So I I have to be okay with that. But then I have this stranger sitting next to me telling me that I exude off energy that is very positive. So I cannot look back at, you know, a friend that I've lost and say, dang, what I need to change about myself when I have this stranger sitting next to me telling me what I'm worth after meeting me an hour ago. So because I know that, that is what I consider self-love from, you know, both sides. I could have looked at that situation with my friend and said, I just, I ain't worth nothing, you know? Yeah. If my friend of 20 plus years can walk away and say, I just, I, I don't want nothing to do with you no more. I could look at that and said, well, I mean, she knows me better than anybody. So if she feels that way, then maybe I ain't worth nothing. But because I know me and I love myself, I am okay with not having friends. And you know that. I'm okay with just being by myself, honestly. Mm-hmm. And it is important. My mom didn't teach me that, though. I mean, kind of, sort of, because my mom don't have many friends by choice. But growing up, I had that point five because I wanted all the friends in the world. And I was focused on making them happy and making them laugh versus focusing on what I need to be focused on, which was my grades. So a lot of the times when our parents say, you know, I didn't know or I never paid attention or I just didn't know what to do. We have to take that. We have to take that and say, okay. I don't know everything. My mom didn't teach me everything. So maybe her mom didn't teach her. And it's a cycle, but it's a cycle that we have to, we have to break. If you want it to be broken, sometimes you have to do it yourself. I tell you all the time, um, like you're so like hard body and so strong and you just amaze me because Like you said, you know, our family has been through a lot and you yourself have been through a lot. So I wanted to know what is it that saves you that that thing that taps you on the shoulder to help help you get out of it? Um, Like I said, you told me about it, but could you elaborate for the for the podcast? (laughs) Yes. um, A lot of the times when I am, which is not often. At all. Um, (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) Um, A lot of the times, you have to allow yourself to feel. You know, not just you, but everybody say, well, even growing up, like in high school, they used to always be like, Amanda don't have no feelings. And it used to low-key piss me off because I'm like, what do you think I am, a robot? (laughs) Like, no. A lot of, behind my smile, a lot of the, like, I, in uncomfortable situations, I laugh. (laughs) At the most profound moments I laugh because I don't like crying in front of people 
Like there's, I don't know. I mean, I know what it is, but when you allow yourself to feel, it is an emotion. Mm. Just like when you laugh, you're laughing for a moment and then it's going to cease because that emotion is gone. Mm -hmm. So I treat my down moments as such. It's okay to be down. It's not, it's not permanent. This too shall pass. I am a strong believer in faith. I'm a strong believer in God. So, and, and I, you know, just like this purpose, we're, we're, we're chatting for a purpose. Mm -hmm. We're living for a purpose. My purpose, I feel my purpose is to reach out to the younger generation help them, guide them through life, check on them, make sure they're straight in the head and, you know, offer them things that I didn't have. And so when I have my low moments and I'm in a funk, I I, I look towards that. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. There's been plenty of moments when I could have said, you know, or where I, I just can't do this anymore. I don't want to. Let me just go ahead and wrap this up. <laughs> Pack my stuff and let's go. <laughs> but God take me. But like I said, that light at the end of the tunnel is, you know, what I'm reaching for, what I'm aiming for, and and I know that. So I'm I'm that's what I want to get to. This moment, like I said, that moment of sadness, weakness, anger. It's not me personally. It's it's not worth my life. So, and it's not worth a whole lot of my time either, <laughs> because we're on borrowed time. Once God say it's time to go, like I said, it's time to wrap this up, pack up my stuff, head out. <laughs> so I use my time. And I wasn't always like this, but like from past, especially 2020, that in, in, in a whole different light taught me we're not here forever. Mm-hmm. We have to make the best of our time. Like I said, when you're angry, be angry, but don't, don't, don't sit in it. Mm-hmm. feel it and then let it go and keep moving it's all that's all just keep keep moving yeah take a pause don't stop just take a pause press play again and keep it rolling so when you when it comes to feelings um i feel like you know what i said maybe you do <laughs> maybe you don't but i feel like you don't really hardly ever give yourself flowers like you are so modest like you don't do stuff for a clout I mean that's not even you but like I ain't gonna hold you most 26 year olds who are about to get a PhD in a couple months oh they they it's a flex like that's not that's not you and I know that do you ever have a moment where you're like yeah I did that yeah, like you just yes I, <laughs> all the time, all the time. Like last night, last night for example, um, my little cousin texts me at like I want to say eleven. Uh, she texted me last night at eleven o'clock and was like, "Hey, I'm really behind in my schoolwork because I was unenrolled." Blah 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 blah. Can you help me write this poem? When I tell you, I wrote that poem and like two milliseconds I was like man you really you really just pulled that out your ass huh you really just did that and then I like I have little moments like that I have very small moments like that where I say you know or when I open my grades and I see okay you just got a 97 on that paper I'll be like okay you go girl like it'll be little little positive affirmations like that because 
like I said, growing up, me and my mom's were, and I, I keep saying my mom because my dad, he was, you know, out there living his life. But um, growing up, our relationship was very congratulatory. And I carried that okay. up until I was about maybe 23, 24. Like I caught myself in, you know, our family is probably going to listen to this and hear this, but <laughs> I caught myself always posting my accomplishments on social media because I was looking for that, that energy, that pool of people saying, oh, you go, congratulations. Mm-hmm. You're so smart. You're so beautiful. You have it all. You're, you're just a genius. Like mm-hmm. I used to feed off that. That's what used to yeah. keep me going. And like I said, once I turned about 23, 24, and I would see people do that, I would get annoyed by them. Like, oh, shut up. Nobody cares. <laughs> so I had to look at myself and say, well, you do the same thing. So if that's how you feel about them, that's probably how these people looking at you. So I just don't anymore, anymore. I don't feel the need to have to broadcast what I have going on. i rather it, you know, show and yeah. inform. When people see me, when I walk into a room, depending on what the room is, they're going to know who Amanda, who Dr. Glover is. I know, that's right. <laughs> like, they're going to know. I'm not going to have to explain who I am. Just like my ceremony, God willing that we have one, when I walk across that stage in that robe, I'm not going to have to post on Facebook, I got my doctorate today. I could post a picture and people are going to know who I am and what I've done. And I had to learn, we don't have to do things for the approval of others. That is also a part of self-love. That is a part of healthy mental health. You don't have to do things to satisfy others. Yourself should always be priority. Some things that make other people happy are not going to make you happy. Like I know some of my friends, you know, they like to go out, party, have a good time. I don't have to do that to be content. I don't. I, I can do other things to be happy. I mean, don't get me wrong. I do enjoy indulging in those behaviors sometimes. Not with me. (laughs) (laughs) But it doesn't take that. It doesn't take that for me. So to each his own. So I don't feel the need to, you know, brag, boast. Um, And then you never know, you know, shining your own light is probably, even though, you know, you see these memes on social media. Don't be afraid. To or people hate on you because they feel like your shining light is doling theirs. Mm-hmm. Even though that is a fact, and that's in that light is also true in another light. There are people out here who, like you said, there's not many 26-year-olds out here getting PhDs. If they are, they out here, you know, acting crazy, acting the fool. <laughs> but there's also that 26-year-old that's living on the street that once could have had their PhD, but they've gone through life's journey and they something else happened. So I don't ever want anyone to feel like, um, I feel like I'm better than them because at the end of the day, we're all human. We're all here. Like I said, I'm borrowed time. When it's time to go, it's time to go. Now what I've done with my, even though I know what I've done with my time, it may be different from what you've done with your time. At the end of the day, it is what it is. So, I'm securing who I am. I can't help if the next person is not, but I don't need to always say, hey, you know what, man, I'm gonna have my doctorates. <laughs> like, that's just not necessary. That's not necessary. Ooh. Now, am I proud of myself? Heck yeah, I'm proud of myself. But 
I just don't feel the need to, you know, just it makes, be out here. It makes sense, you know, you come from a, a lifestyle where, you know, things were contingent on you being congratulated. So then when you found out like, okay, bet this is way too much. I'ma just, you know, chill and not and not boast. And you never gave me boast anyway. But um it really makes sense. It's really actually a beautiful story, you know. But I I you never gave me like I wanna brag about it, but I'm like, damn. Well no, and then also a part of that is like so look, we, we're gonna we're gonna compare and contrast this situation with social media. So sometimes you may post something, right? You get fifty comments, two hundred and thirty likes. So you got it that time. So let's say I posted, okay, getting my undergraduate degree. Everybody, everybody's commenting, everybody's liking it. But then now, today or next month, I post. Okay, my dissertation got approved. My thesis got approved. I'm about to get my dual degree, and I only get 12 likes. What is if I'm posting that to be congratulated? What is that going to do to my self esteem? Definitely drop that thing. Exactly. Same thing with posting on social media. I'm in this bathing suit. I'm about to get 500 likes. Now I'm posting that I'm studying in the library. I get 12. What does that do? <laughs> it's not funny. It's truly not funny. It's really not funny. <laughs> No, no, but that's facts. Like, it it teaches is. You, it teaches you, I need to be out here acting the fool to be liked. But if I'm and out here handling my business, no one cares. <laughs> right. For real. That's facts. That's all the questions that I had. I like to, you know, turn the floor over to my guest and uh, ask them if they have any questions for me before, you know, I wrap things up. From this segment, what have you learned about your own mental well-being i mean you was preaching you was preaching uh what have i learned about my own mental well-being yes the the whole mental health thing it ain't just about you know what i'm saying it's not about it's not just about like your feelings it is it's more facets to it and it just made me want to check in like not check the boxes. It made me want to like really look at all the boxes because I think what happens is say something really, really sad happens. So now I'm really sad and, you know, um, maybe dealing with depression. So that's the focus. And so I feel like when you, when you zone in too much to one emotion, it can draw you down and you forget about everything else and you're not really taking care of yourself. So really you just made me think about all the aspects about mental health and checking in and see, okay, what this box looking like? And not like I'm checking the the boxes, but like, what does the whole circle look like? Not just, you know, a little bit of the pie chart. Like what does the whole circle look like? Because it's essential that all of those pieces are in the green for everything to be good. So that really, you know what I'm saying? I, I'm about to make a whole diagram from that little excerpt right there. But that's what I learned. That's what I learned. But um, Ooh, My job is done. All right now. Um, thank y'all again for tuning in. Um, hopefully you were able to take something from this. And Amanda, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule. And yeah, bye y'all. See y'all next time. Bye.